0: Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Jonathan Peugeot, who is the host of The Symbolic Worlds, as well as a Greek icon carver, speaker, and author, and a returning guest as well to my show. In this conversation, we talk about the Enlightenment and Jonathan Peugeot's contention that it is a failed endeavor, because human beings cannot use reason to encapsulate the entirety of their lives. We talk about politics and religion and humanity and sacrifice and love and just have a good old conversation about all those meaningful things. You can find Jonathan's work in the links that are found in the description below the video or the audio file that you are playing in your phone. Without further ado, here is Jonathan Peugeot. It's been a while. I can't remember the last time we spoke. That's true. It's been too long. Like I, more than a year for sure. A I wonder. know. It's been a while. I think ironically, our last chat might've been with James Lindsay. That's right. I think it, that's, that might be possible. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: but I haven't, like, I didn't, I haven't listened to your conversation with James. I didn't have, I haven't had time to listen to it,
0: sadly. So, no, that's okay. Um, Yeah, well, I mean, we we spoke about uh, symbolism a little bit, and then we we went through a bunch of different um, corridors, but I did want to understand more deeply what you were talking about, about the Enlightenment. And I guess um, if the world is going to be re-enchanted, then um, what methodology um, can we use to explain the world to ourselves and each other because while the enlightenment or that bundle of thinkers and procedures that were born at that time and kind of came together while it does have problems and certainly it can't explain everything it does have a way of like really drilling down into so-called objective truth like it does like approach something more solid and when we start speaking in terms of symbolism Like what is the underlying like methodology and how do you know when you're going astray, how do you check your notes? How do you like show your work, like, like a math problem? Like, how do you like verify? Well,
1: how can I say this? I think we're looking at two different problems, right? One is the problem of let's say predicting phenomena, which is let's say Uh, Quantifying and predicting phenomena is very different from understanding the very frame by which we look at reality, that is the frame of uh, hierarchies by which we organize the world. Those two two things are very different. You could say it's the difference between a hierarchy of virtues, a hierarchy of values, a hierarchy of uh, importance, and the the drilling down of the identities that are identified once that hierarchy is set up. Right. So it's like, I decide what's most important. And then I apply the tools of reason or of scientific methodology. I can apply them to certain phenomena that I identify and then I can analyze them. And so we can't, we can't measure both with the same, the same scope. If we try, then we fail. It's like, it's like, uh, it's as if I'm trying to tell you on the one hand to, to uh, put on a scale, you know, the, the, the formula for, I don't know, for certain, you know, certain speeds or certain, uh, certain phenomena. And at the same time, I'm trying to help you understand why you love your wife. And then you say, well, how do you, how can you prove that you love your wife? Like how, and then and so we this is the problem. And so it doesn't mean that love is a completely subjective idiosyncratic thing. It's just that the 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 forms by which we in which we approach the world are a different type than the phenomena that we analyze and that we quantify. Mm-hmm. And so they 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 require different tools, d- different intuitions and those intuitions do not have to satisfy the requirements of someone who wants to know how to make, you know, uh, like gunpowder and what the chemical formula is. They're just not the same thing. I
0: don't
1: know if that makes sense.
0: No, it does. But the formula for gunpowder works or doesn't work. Yeah. How do we know if the formula for hierarchy works or doesn't work? Like, 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 yeah, well, there's we get some we way to know. verify it, whether or not you're right or wrong.
1: So, let me let's 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 use another example, one that's simpler. Let's say, uh, how do you know, like, let's say advertising works, right? Trying to convince people of something, uh, using certain methods can function, okay. but it doesn't function 100% of the time, doesn't function with every single person. It's not the same type of criteria. And so, you know, there is a hierarchy of goods. Now, the idea that people won't completely agree of how that hierarchy lays itself out, that is inevitable. But to deny that that's part of the mechanisms by which we judge the world, that is also a problem. Because what happens when people do that, and you see that in the case especially of the new atheist types, is that they do have a hierarchy. By which they, enter, they entertain the world, they do have a hierarchy of virtues and of values. They take it for granted. They don't analyze it. They don't identify it. They judge the world with it, uh, and then they act as if it's just the it's just the water in which they're swimming, and they can pretend that they're just being scientists and and reasonable. I'll give you an example that's very simple that I that I noticed once. It was a discussion between Sam Harris and uh, and Dawkins where they were talking about a very controversial subject, which is race and IQ. And, you know, they were talking about the studies that discuss this. And then Dawkins said, I don't care about that subject. I don't think it's important to talk about that. And I thought, like, okay, Mr. Dawkins, by what criteria do you decide that that's not high on your hierarchy of values of things to study? And I would like for us to explore that. Because as soon as you start to explore that, then you're in another sphere. You're not in the same sphere as the, the kind of rationalist scientist types think that they always inhabit. Mm-hmm. And so the, the difference of care is, is part of that. Like, what is it that we care about and how that lays itself out? Mm-hmm. And so the, the answer is not a simple one. The answer is not like, you know, if you follow this formula, then this is how it's going to, it's going to play out. Uh, it's it's more subtle because it it has the problem of being the it has the problem of looking at the mechanism by which we how can let's do it this way
0: yeah
1: it has the problem of consciousness looking at itself right it has the problem of intelligence looking at itself and that is that is the you could say it's the problem of human knowledge and the problem of human civilization it's the problem that's encoded in every single Mythology, every single, you know, worldview that 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 has laid itself out since the beginning of time, it's a very, it's a difficult problem. It's the problem that's happening in the Garden of Eden, right? It's the problem, these are the problems that we're dealing with. They're very difficult because they talk about the question of how to look at the frame by which I'm looking at the world. And so that's not easy. So it means that you know what what the let's say the saints would say and what you know some of the philosophers would say is that that or even like I don't know a Zen Buddhist would say is that you can arrive at those things by a type of intuition, insight right you can arrive at insight and that insight is not contained in the mechanisms that I'm trying to 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 bring about it's mm-hmm. contained in in the in a type of grasping that happens, right when you see that things come together and all of a sudden you see a kind of shining light of of a of unity and you grasp it that's insight
0: yeah but
1: insight cannot be uh can very difficultly be explained by the type of discourse that rationalists want to use okay
0: i just so you have uh, so
1: we have a problem which is that which is that on the one hand this is what all the traditional things are talking about right this is what so many of the religious uh let's say the theologians, the mystics are talking about, which is the capacity for insight. But you you can't totally describe it. You have to play around it. You have to skirt around it. You have to point at it. And then when you have that, so you could say the same, like you could, let's, let's use an example. that's very simple. It's not, there's no woo-woo here. You know, it's, it's like, I can tell you what it's like to, to be in love. I can say it. I can give you, tell you a million ways and what, it, what it's like to be in love. But unless you, that happens to you, unless you grasp that, unless you reach that insight, you will never, you will never fully understand what it is. You have, to, you have to enter into it with experience. Now, the, the ways we talk about it can help guide you in that insight, can help stabilize that insight, can help you, but it's not enough. You have to, have, you have to kind of enter into that experience and it's this actually this is the same for everything that you describe this is the same for anything that has identity you know i can describe a hammer all day long but the grabbing the hammer in your hand and using it that's that's the insight of the hammer and it's not it cannot be reduced to its to its quantifiable things can't be reduced to its description can't be reduced even to its function there's something about it which is more and that mm-hmm. is that is the very mysticism that like that 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 someone like Lindsay wants to decry but mm. you can't avoid that because mysticism happens not just in someone in some saint's cave where they're praying and they're having a it happens every time you encounter unity in the world every time you transcend the multiplicity of 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 uh, quantifiable things into the unity that binds them together you're having a little mystical experience yeah that's as true for it's as true for a pencil as it's true for falling in love or going to church all these or 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 you know putting your hand on your on your breast and and saying the pledge of allegiance like these these things are all mystical in their nature
0: yeah but the issue then is that when we observe um human beings unifying in their unification in a bigger group, like right? once they start to formulate or to congregate through religions, through uh, creeds, through uh, political nations, parties, through nations, families. businesses, uh, friendships, careers, How about that? friendships. Um, well, fr- friendships is still like families, and friendships is still more organic. But once we get into a higher level, like a, something beyond a township, there's the capacity for authoritarianism, totalitarianism, there's um, the same a in unification, the a, a unification. In the same
1: in a person. A person can have an authoritarian. A, a person can try to apply authoritarian principles to the multiple aspects that constitute it. Right. Did you you give see people example? do that all the time. Right? right. They they deny something about themselves, right? They they just try to push it into the as if it doesn't exist. And they try to compress right this idea of uh repressing certain things in you. That's an authoritarian approach to a single being.
0: Yeah. And
1: so the authoritarian approach can happen at every level of unity, from the person to the family, to the city, to the state, to the to the basketball team, to any type of unity can is in danger of having that characteristic there's no there's no way around
0: it and so when approaching any given group of people how does one analyze that to see if it's healthy or unhealthy or good or bad or evil or, or whatever like like what what tool set how do you describe that which allows you to assess whether this unity is proper or improper
1: well, the unity itself, I mean, how can I say this? Unities are always around a purpose, right? So you, the, first of all, the purpose can be bad, right? You can have a street gang who's, who's the fact of their unity yeah, is to okay. rob people and kill people. And so the purpose of the unity, that's what unity is always du- you know, directed towards purpose. And so you can, you can first of all, identify the, the reason for the unity, and that can be a problem and then you can also look at the mechanisms by which the unity is manifesting itself which is that the you know the uh the traditional vision i think of unity is something like a dance between unity and multiplicity right it's it's this kind of breathing in and breathing out uh is <clears throat> it one of my favorite quotes from rumi who talks about you know he says yeah, you know if you if you keep your hand always open or if you keep your hand always closed you will be paralyzed but you know, actual experience is in the very subtle moving, open and closed of the hand. That's how reality works. Is this this subtle dance between unity and multiplicity, uh, and that's how you can recognize if something is balanced or not. And it's, and it's so it's the same in a family. You can see that, right? It's like if there's too much multiplicity, then it's chaos in the house, and then you know everybody's doing their own thing, and things are yeah. messy, and nobody can, and and everybody's screaming at each other. Uh, and if there's too much unity. Right then then everybody is afraid and everybody is just in line and just doing the things they need to do. And there's no variability, there's no joy, there's no kind of, uh, and so you have to always, no matter what unity you participate in, you always have to find a balance between the two. And that's true of yourself, by Mm -hmm. the way, as well. If you work 24 hours a day, you will collapse. If you play 24 hours a day, you will collapse. And if you sleep 24 hours a day, you will collapse. Like there is a balance of attention and distraction. There's a, there's a balance of reason and emotion. All of these things are part of how the human being functions. Uh, and if you deny one aspect of it, then it builds up and it explodes. And by the way, this is my critique of, of the kind of rationalist enlightenment mode is that it ignores aspects of reality it just says, just says, don't do that. Don't be unreasonable. You know, don't follow your emotions. Just be, just be reasonable and logical and, and, uh, and scientific and you'll be fine. Right. And that's the equivalent of saying, you know, you could work 20, 24 hours a day. If you just don't sleep, Benjamin, Hmm. you know, just don't sleep. And if you sleep, I'll tell you, Oh, I told you not to sleep. Why are you sleeping? If you become distracted, I'll say, well, why are you being distracted, Benjamin? I told you, just pay attention. Hmm. I, it seems like you're not following what I'm saying. If you just did what I said, then the world would be perfect and everything would flow like, like you know, would flow wonderfully. Hmm. And so this is the problem with the, this is the problem with the Steven Pinker and kind of, you know, Hicks and all of these, these kind of enlightenment types is that they, they decry an aspect of humanity which is part of humanity and is not only part, but is inevitable to humanity. And then they're surprised when they watch it blow up. They're surprised when they see it explode in front of them. And they're like, well, no, we said just be reasonable and uh, hmm. you know, just follow these these things. And if you do, then you'll be fine. And this is where it, we are now, by the way, this is the moment where we've reached, which is that the things that the enlightenment ignored which is, for example, the means by which we attain unity. That's now exploding at everybody's face. They said, "Just be reasonable, be rational. If we're just rational and scientific, and we we develop scientific things and more machines and more and more, uh, you know, and more technology and more science, then we'll all be, we'll be, we'll have food and and wealth and money, and then we'll be happy, right?" But sadly, that's not what's happening. That's obviously not what's happening. And now that narrative is exploding, and it's exploding in the very mechanisms that gave birth to it, which is that now we have we have people at OpenAI doing rituals and invoking who knows what, you know, into their into their AI God. And everybody's surprised. As if this is as if this was not something that has been building up since after World War II, basically.
0: Well, I mean, I guess we are in the shadow of World War II, where let's just say um, various different powers and principalities organized in various different ways. Uh, We have uh, Japan, we have Germany. Germany became, uh, or Italy became fascist, Germany became national socialist, and they began to purge their population to create some sort of very incredibly sharp, like unity. intention, right. like one very sharp unity. And since then, you know, America and the allies come and like, they break apart the unity or the unity breaks itself apart, or it causes a reaction in other parts of the multiplicity of humanity to, to kind of counter it. Um, but in the North Americas, at least, we're, we're very wary of unity again. Right. We, we see, um, I guess this guy, Rob Reiner, who's like this bleeding heart liberal, on twitter uh, always decrying the far right he never talks about the right he always talks about the extreme right there's the only right. the
1: far right there there's only no far, right. the
0: extreme right and uh you know he, he i think he's producing a documentary about Christian nationalism. Um, but his entire mode is Christian nationalist. It's just progressive. It's just a, uh, a version of Christianity that purged religious talk out of it, but just transferred all these religious concepts onto the notions of humanity and progress. Um, but it's, it's the same. Like, that's the real Christian nationalism is woke. It's the one yep. that's infected every part of our uh, governing apparatus. That's Christian nationalism. It's just downstream from an older version Of itself, but
1: so I have like I have sympathy for for by the way for James's position, which he says like this is preparing a big psyop. I totally agree with him. I agree with him that of what he's scared of, which is that the the far left or the 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 kind of activist left will use the the resurgence of the relationship between Christianity and nationalism to attack the nation itself and to attack the idea of the nation and of the and of the you know your constitution or whatever. By the way, I'm not American. I always have to remind people of that. Yeah, yeah, your yeah. constitution and all these things. Like, I I completely agree with him. But I think that I think that the mechanisms by which he is approaching that are going to be counterproductive for his whatever his cause is. You know, because how can I say this? It's like let's ask this question uh, uh, for america why is america a nation
0: because we are a nation at this point
1: that's right <laughs> just take it for granted yeah. there we're just a we're just a bunch of people in a land you know and uh that's it that's it yeah. and so that so this is the problem that we're that we're coming towards is that if we've haven't asked ourselves what makes something one for a few hundred years. Actually we have. You're right. So there's it's there's extremes in the enlightenment world, right? The enlightenment world, the the world after the enlightenment, I tried to describe it in as two extremes that are are getting further from each other. So if you want to say enlightenment and counter enlightenment, whatever, that's fine. Just as long as you understand that they're both caused by the same things, that they're both causing each other, right? If you want to use the word counter enlightenment, I I don't like it because it makes it feel too simplistic. But you have in on the one hand, you have an increase in, let's say, uh, you could you could call it like lower identities, right? And then you also have the opposite, which is the desire to kind of break them down. And so you have nationalisms that become strong, right? The the nation state is a is a post enlightenment phenomena. It's not an ancient phenomena. The way that we understand nations and borders and governments and states and, and bureaucracies, these are not the the ancient ways of thinking. These are post enlightenment uh, structures. And so you have the nation which grows, and then you have something like the anti nation or or globalism or communism or revolutionary. Like there, there's a tendency to want to dis to deconstruct that which is being set up as being stronger and stronger. And so this is still playing out now. Like that the, the same things that led to World War II, you know, are still playing out today because we haven't dealt with any of it. We haven't looked at the root cause of of the problems which brought about both the nationalism and the communism in in early 20th century. And so now we have the same problem happening in different guises. And once again, Lindsay is absolutely right to see the insane postmodernism as a continuation of the revolutionary and communist uh, things that burgeoned up in the in the 19th and early 20th century,
0: but yes. these things
1: are going are are, are going to happen, and and let's say the nationalism, the central the centralism is going to keep peaking too at the same time, and so the globalist tendency towards centra- centralism and the weird things we saw happen during COVID, they're all. Playing out the same patterns of a separation of unity and multiplicity, so it's like people emphasizing too much unity and then people emphasizing too much multiplicity happening happening simultaneously. So we see kind of global structures of power manifesting themselves and deconstructing uh, powers happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I you know we wrote uh, Jordan Peterson and I wrote a an essay for Arc recently on this problem, you know, which is trying to articulate subsidiarity as the right relationship between unity and multiplicity all across different levels, right? What do you mean by
0: subsidiarity? Subsidiarity. It is the idea that,
1: that there is this tendency to move towards unity, let's say to a unified state. Mm -hmm. The, the, The ultimate image of this is something like the state and the people, right? So we have people, that are just, they're just spread out on a, on a board, right? They, they have no connection between each other. They're just all atomized individuals. And then on top of that, you have a state which is becoming more and more powerful and more and more controlling. And those two tendencies play on each other. That is, the, te- the anarchic tendency of the modern world, the tendency to deconstruct and to atomize individuals feeds the tyran- tyrannical system. Because How as we atomize... Because as we atomize and as we're not no longer connected in little groups like families, like like clubs, you know, like parishes, all of these things, those those uh, functions have to be covered by something, and so charity can't. If I'm not like taking care of my parents when they're old, then the state has to provide for that. Right, the state has to create old people's homes with like you know with uh, with with taxation and funding or whatever. And so as you as you disconnect from down here, you're mm-hmm. you're demanding even even if you're even if you're a revolutionary in your attitude, even if you're saying if you even if you're a hippie and you're like, yeah, screw the system, break this down, you know, you know, you have to liberate yourself from family, from religion, from all these things and all be a bunch of anarchists uh, you know, living living all apart from each other, that's calling the system to to become more and more powerful. And so those are the two like tendencies, you could say, of the words world since the Enlightenment. And you can see it right from the outset with Locke and Hobbes. You know, Hobbes is an authoritarian for a reason because he understands that reason is a centralized thing that comes down. And he's like, we're gonna up- impose this reason and these principles on the people that are that are going and that end up becoming more and more atomized as time goes forward. And so what we're trying to articulate is that. The, the, the principle of subsidiarity, which is the idea that you are, you are made of multiplicity yourself, right? You already have multiple subpersonalities inside you, and, that, and you have to unite them in a person. And that person has to be united in a family. And those families have to be united into neighborhoods, into, into cities, into all, all kinds of parallel structures like clubs, like, you know, like, I don't know, the Boy Scouts or your, and the church and the sports teams and all of these things. And this is actually how how reality scaffolds itself how it kind of builds both unity and resilience at the same time. Now, the the, the problem we've got now is you've got these two things. Like, the, the, there's no, by the way, there's very little difference between, like, the libertarian, anarcho-libertarian types and the Rainbow Coalition types. They're basically saying the same thing. They're saying, I can self-define myself completely. I can just be me, and I can completely be independent, and and I don't need anything, you know, above me, which is which is kind of uh, exercising authority over me, and that's and that when you do that, it calls for, it calls for tyranny, and that's what that's why that's what happened in so many of the revolutions is that revolution is followed by tyranny because anarchy calls for authority.
0: The problem that James brings up is that, like, there's on a certain level, like, um, the right, the dissonant right, the counter enlightenment, they, they, they want to impose some sort of structure, right? Uh, a religious person wants to impose their religious structure on the world. And James is saying, you can't tell me what to do. You're not God. No one person is God. So how does humankind, uh, because if you look at liberalism, it's nice that you get to be an orthodox person. I get to do my, uh, my spiritual practice, you know, and, and my parents can be Christian, you know, and, and we can coexist and kind of have a different framework or a different practice, but still somehow come together. And the, the, the liberal project of allowing these, uh, this multiplicity of religious belief, a multiplicity of like higher level, uh, transcendent orders um, is kind of nice it's nice to have muslims getting along with christians getting along with jews and then not demanding one you know one structure or who demands that and and if if you, what you're saying is that it's unstable on some level to allow for multiplicity on some level or we, we unity is going to happen unity is inevitable like, how does one navigate in a post, uh, post-religious or post-unified religious world? Yeah, well, all these different. You know systems. how it
1: happens, and you know how we navigate. We end up with, uh, with the, with W F and the and the and the W H O and the U N, and that's what we end up with, right? It's it's funny that it's like, oh, I don't want. Any type of moral order over me, as as you're saying that, and as the entire world since the 1960s hippies have been saying that, you you watch these structures become more and more powerful and become more and more encompassing, and mm-hmm. technology making it possible. And so, mm-hmm. it's like, how can I say this? It's this is not like I'm not an idealist. I I, I hope you understand this. Like I'm not. I'm not saying we're going to reach some perfect utopia and that we're going to find the solution to everything. Okay. Uh, But what I can see is that there is, in this process of moving towards multiplicity and towards more and more unity, right now the nation state is in danger because there is no justification for the nation state there's no like basic philosophical justification for its existence on its own unless yeah. we have what i believe to be this kind of subsidiary subsidiary notion that we kind yeah. of participate in identities all the way through and so i agree that the problem of you know a kind of that's a islamic approach to christianity you know a kind of uh idea that right now we could impose you know i don't know like some kind of christian hierarchy over the yeah. west i think that's a ridiculous idea and i've never advocated for that once yeah. in my entire why is that ridiculous
0: life.
1: well because i don't know do you think that's possible
0: i don't think it's possible
1: but so it's a ridiculous idea <laughs> okay to posit an idea that's not possible is wasting your time and wasting your energy and is not like what are you trying what do you think is going to happen like well, no, for anybody that if i don't i don't think i've ever met anybody who thinks that by the way but if there are people who think that the only way to do that would be through massive violence
0: like uh, on the I, own, on your own people is that what you would do to I, impose well no you're right i think it is happening it's just called progressivism and it's like that well, is course, christian yeah. nationalism that is just yeah. christianity without uh without the cross in some way without sacrifice it's really it's an interesting phenomenon it's exact it's taken a lot of like the
1: morality of
0: Christianity and then like try to liberate it from like this kind of crusty way of thinking that's traditional and symbolic. And it's tried to uh, impose it on uh, bureaucratic levels, you know, with like these flags and these Rambo's. and you can see it producing symbolism that keeps on getting really icky and yucky, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's because there's no order in it, but it is trying to order the world and it is trying to take over. You you have to, in order to be, uh, you know, increasingly in order to get ahead in academia, you have to believe in this way of thinking this DEI stuff and diversity equity and inclusion they're all kind of uh, adapted Christian values of of unity it's a
1: religious thing for sure yeah it's definitely religious but this is what this is again like if to come back to the 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 statement that started this whole argument for that with me and James is that this is happening right it's like the world is is becoming religious again I don't think it ever totally stopped being religious but it's happening at a very uh, fast speed And the image of that religiosity right now is exactly that. It's like trans is sacred. That's the image of (laughs) the religiosity. It's like, it's like, I am, you know, you saw that speech in the, in the Joan of Arc uh, play that got put online for like a week and then scrubbed from the internet as if it never existed, where it was basically saying, you know, I transcend, I transcend, uh, uh, categories, you know, I am transcendent because I am not one thing. I'm like the Trinity. I am, you know, transcended in every way, and it's like that's what we're heading towards, you know. Uh, and so the 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 problem is that we do need unity in order to function, and what's happening now is is we're being provided with a a sacred narrative of unity, which is actually a kind of uh, paradox of multiplicity, right? It's saying something like, multiplicity is our unity, right? It's multiplicity is the only thing that, that, that you know, diversity is our strength, as said our friend Justin Trudeau. Uh, but that's what that aesthetic is. It's basically, re- it's like reducing us all to the most idiosyncratic thing that we can find and making that into a kind of transcendent good that is to be worshipped uh but that that uh that that leads to more that just leads to tyranny it just so, leads wh- to more tyranny that's why the glo- that's why like people are confused by the way like wh- what's the relationship between globalism and like lgbt Individual. activism yeah. you think like how because redu- how- lgbt activism is like is excessive and it has a kind of uh, aesthetics of of uh, of carnival and jubilation and and uh, you know and excess and all that and how does that fit with like environmentalism and COVID mandates and all of this kind of tyrannical thing and the answer is it does perfectly if you understand how these two opposites basically feed each other, how one gives birth to the other, how and- the, the 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 controlling state wants as much idiosyncrasy as possible and the 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 development of idiosyncrasy calls for centralization
0: but what's the moderate answer to that like what's the what's the alternative to that i think the alternative is really a subsidiary vision of reality it
1: really is this idea that we are all made of multiplicity multiplicity is part of unity, right? It's that which constitute unity. Everything has a center and a margin. Everything has an identity and things that don't totally fit. And so we, we both aim towards the center and have compassion for the margin, right? This is the Christian message is to Mm. say, like, Mm. basically say, I, I, I see the ideal and I aim towards the ideal but I reach out in love to those that that don't fit that ideal. I, you know, I give I give them a hand and in, in compassion and love without compromising the ideal. And so I say, I say things like I say, I say very hard things like, you know, the, the purpose of sexuality is to have children. And sexuality should be lived in a monogamous, you know, marriage, without divorce. That's the ideal. And then I look at myself. And then I look at everybody around me and I realize nobody reaches that ideal. Nobody nobody lives that perfectly. Everybody failed, everybody is broken. Everybody is a part of that ideal, but I don't compromise the ideal for the fact that we don't fit. We I rather use love and compassion uh you know to the people around me. And so to me that's the only way to go. Is that's the only solution for the problem of identity is that we it's like, it's neither tyrannical identity that eliminates all, all, the, uh, all the margin, which is what you saw in the Nazis, for example, and, and in kind of extreme nationalism, right? Nor is it just pure idiosyncrasy and anything goes and, and everything is equal and, and all values are equivalent. Like those two things are not, are not possible. And, and, and I don't say that as, I'm not even talking about a political system. Like everything I talk, I never talk about political systems.
0: Well, that's that's the danger though, because it's going to translate into politics somehow, like ARC if Ark's going to do anything, it's going to have a political impact. So it's going to propose some sort of unity. It's going to propose some sort of alternative, like you say, there's all these different identities. It's going to have to claim that there's a global, a proper global identity. It's going to have to claim that there's a proper use for something like the UN, the WEF, some sort of masters of the universe experts, you know, who, who yeah, are well, in control of overly, certain levels, Ark, levers of power.
1: Ark. ARC, one of the founding founding principles of ARC is no compulsion. Like that has been from the very beginning from Jordan Peterson. And, you know, there are certain reasons why I participated in ARC. You know, I have my doubts about ARC as much as anybody because I don't want it also to become a kind of right wing WF, which is possible. Like that could happen. Until uh, up to now, I don't see that it happening. can't
0: not happen. If something if something is going to propose to start to define things on that level, it's going to have to emulate that definition. So right. when but you but what get if up the to... definition
1: we propose is subsidiarity? What if that's a definition we propose?
0: Okay. Yeah, okay. So fine, you're saying that you're proposing that there's levels to the universe. You're still going to have to do the eye of the pyramid. What is at the top of that pyramid, and then what's that's next to the top to of it?
1: The... God. Eventually. Okay, and then
0: what's right under God, like the Pope? or the the fathers the church fathers right
1: well i would say the the i mean of course as a christian i would say the saints you know uh and the testimony of the of the saints not not the human authorities that are alive today and have
0: power well yeah Uh, but eventually you're going to get to the people so you're 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 proposing all these things that are but but like there's eventually there's a line eventually there's the masters of the universe like the highest human people who are alive like and what does that system look like so the system a
1: subsidiary the way a subsidiary system looks like is one which many people can understand, which is that higher levels of authority do not mean that they have power over direct power over lower parts of the pyramid you could say and so for example you, we have that in our everyday world, which is the President of the United States cannot tell the mayor of Chicago what to do, okay, right because the mayor of Chicago has its own has his own principality yeah and, what do you mean? What? Why are well, you hesitating?
0: Well, uh, because uh, yeah. Directly, no. Indirectly, absolutely. Federal funding, like the system itself incentivizes or disincentivizes certain sorts of uh, behaviors through funding. That's why we have mm-hmm. issues with the civil rights law right now, because it's being used to enforce, uh, extra, like, like it's, it's being used to sculpt culture and to tell people what to do that is not in the actual documents of the Constitution, right? Like, mm-hmm. the government's not supposed to tell you how to associate, what to think, but through civil rights law, it now has the power to influence that. And then it has the power to uh, tell schools what to do. That's why we have, you know, like with with the Obama administration, you just have, you watch this thing with the gender issue itself, like going into schools and, and, and pushing a certain ideology through the schools. So no, uh, tr- uh, Biden can't tell uh, Newsom what to do, but the whole system itself tells itself what to do.
1: Okay, so there is a, there is a unbalanced move towards centralism, let's say, yeah. that has happened over time in, in the modern state. That's what, the modern state itself seems to lend itself to that to that problem, which is like to kind of move towards towards centralism. Uh, but it doesn't take away the basic idea, let's say So. Okay. the problem is that what I'm calling for people to do is to participate in that kind of subsidiarity from the bottom up right, is to understand that you are a person, that you are part of a family, and that family can participate in communities, that you can be engaged in your local uh, surroundings, in your church, in your sports teams or whatever, and to see that as being absolutely real and the, and the foundation on which your experience of reality functions, and the scaffolding on which reality is built. Mm. And I, I don't see any other way except from a bottom up way, of this of proper cleaning. i don't i don't there's no other way because like you said the only the only way that you would do it differently would be to create an alternative tyranny to the to the to the tyranny that's there at, at this moment which is why just like just like jordan peterson i agree with him when he says, clean your room like not in obviously it, it seems right when you say that but it's like the only thing you can really do is be the best friend the best father the best you know the best connected. Uh, Part of this scaffolding of reality. And that will have ripples, right? It will transform things because the system that we're in, this mm-hmm. kind of move towards overt centralization and to more and more centralization and the move towards more and more insane levels of idiosyncrasy and kind of self naming and, and self creating, it cannot sustain for a long time. Mm-hmm. There's just no way. It can't hold. And so, you know like I'm not a I don't want to be doom and gloom but I think that out of the ashes of whatever is coming it will be those that had that had a strong network around them that have friends and family and that have and that are part and that are connected locally that's what's going to rise out of this because because I I agree and that's why if if arc ever tries to be something um akin to the w f or the u n or some kind of legislating body or some some type of institution that tries to directly influence uh laws in different countries, then you can you'll watch me run out of that with that a mm-hmm. hundred miles an hour mm-hmm. but with the people that are there now, I don't think that's going to endanger of happening anytime soon obviously any any structure can be captured that's obvious we've saw that we've seen that happen you know you saw that happen uh over our generations but um i don't yeah at least for now i don't see that as part of the people that i've met there
0: so we've been talking like at this really abstract sociological level i kind of want to like invert the question because in my conversation with james eventually we have to get to define what an individual (laughs) is like if if you know that's like the building block uh for at least he brought that up, like that nobody's really defined individual, like what is the individual? And I was asking him and he's like, uh, so he's working on that. It's like, so what is an individual? Because that's a very important piece of the puzzle. Because um, mm-hmm. if you want to preserve individual rights, then you have to define an individual against a collective or in a collective. Uh, and you're saying that there's all this subsidiary, multiplicity, identity, individuality, multiple, uh, unity, individuality, unity, over yeah. and over and over Well, again, this is the problem of up.
1: even phrasing it as individual and collective. Like, to me, that's already a problem. Like, the, it to, to just understand someone as an individual facing a collective is the beginning of what we're seeing now. It's the beginning of the individual becoming more atomized and the collective being more and more, let's say, encompassing, so that you end up with these weird systems that we're in now. Mm. That is not... So I would say that even like, for example, like in Christian theology, we, we use the word person. It's a... Much better, okay. I think, a better word than the word individual, which is that the person is already in relationship with others. But the idea that you are that you can completely completely isolate an individual from everybody mm-hmm. else is very difficult. Now I understand why you have to do that to some extent in the law, that is that that seems necessary um, to avoid certain problems. But I don't I think it's dangerous to do it fundamentally philosophically to kind of isolate the individual. but you could see that you could just say that a person is a locus of consciousness like that I don't I don't think that that's is that that weird of a of a way to 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 understand that
0: Well I mean you're 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 answering the question let me just ask the question so it can be on the record. What is a person? What is a man? What is a human human yeah, well,
1: a human. And so i would say that i think that's what the that's what i would say i would say you know a person is a locus of consciousness and that is you know in the image of god in the sense that it is not completely isolated locus of consciousness right it's a it's a locus of consciousness that reflects a higher consciousness or higher consciousness however you want to say that uh and then that that engages with other persons that engages with other faces, other people facing them, and and form bonds and communities, and also to some extent exist with and in each other. Like we don't we don't exist completely uh, alone from mm-hmm. each other. We 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 exist with and and in each other. And to me, that's the and so the the ultimate image of a person is in, is a person in the communion of love. It's not a person on their own. You know, I don't know, standing on the corner with a with a sign asking for their rights. Not that we shouldn't have rights of people, but that the ultimate image of a person is a person in a communion of love. That's that's what a person is.
0: Okay. What is this love thing that you're talking about?
1: This love thing.
0: Yeah.
1: It's the thing that binds you. It's that love is that which binds.
0: Binds how? How would you, how would you teach a 10 year old boy to, to, to move towards proper love and move away from improper love? Cause there's improper ways of binding.
1: Of course. Yeah. And so the, like the entire, you could say that the entire, uh, history of, of Christian theology is about understanding proper love, you could say. Hmm. And, and, you know, actually you know it's interesting dante is probably one of the best ones if you want to look at how to deal with proper love dante has a great Hmm. dante's comedy is one of the best examinations of that um which is that care right we could use the word care the word is 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 better because it today Hmm. with heidegger people kind of understand it a little more right it's like care is that which makes you move right you don't do anything without care right if I go from here to the door it's because I have a reason to if I right if I eat an apple it's because I have a reason to it's like there's care that is motivating me towards you could say the rest from that care. Right if I'm hungry I eat and I hope to find rest from my desire in that Mm -hmm. in that in that movement. And that is what motivates all our action. Right. So you could say that the world is built in care, built by care. Um, and so there are hierarchies of care. There are things that make us live more than others. And if we, if we get that wrong, then obviously we, hmm. we're in trouble, right? And so mm-hmm. you could say something like food is good and we should care for it, but there's a limit to which we should care for food. It should be anchored in something that we care for more. Okay. Because if we just, if we care for food as the ultimate thing that we love, then you know, will become unhealthy and fat and whatever. And that's true of all the things that we care about. You know, you can become, you can become possessed by anything if you care for it too much, you know, whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's, uh, I don't know, it's like su- success or prestige Freedom. or re- whatever it is like, hmm. it, and all of those things are good, all of them, but they're just good at the level that they should. And that's why we we, you know, in the the idea of Christian, the Christian theology, rep, you know, structures the world that way, and so the love of others, you know, is more important, first of all, than let's say the love of things. Like that's the that's a beginning. It's like if I care for others, then I get more life than if I care for my car. Like if I if I love my my wife and my kids, then I get more and I have more uh there's more reality in my life than if i if i love my car and it's, my car is fine i can love my car to some extent it just has to mm. right that's properly organized and that but that scales also and you can understand that the love of virtues for example and if i if i understand that certain virtues also provide life to me like truth beauty um you know, and that if I love goodness, right? That's the I'm almost like a neoplatonist now. Like if I love the good itself, then I am aiming towards the highest, the highest. And I'm kind of moving up the 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 this hierarchy of love, you could say. Hmm. Um so does that make sense in t- t- in in terms of understanding what love is?
0: <laughs> um it was a trick question, but uh <laughs> <What>?
1: <laughs> Asking me what love is is a trick question.
0: I mean, it, <laughs> what did I know, not
1: see in your trick?
0: I mean, can you really answer that question? Can one really answer what love is? I don't know. That's the, it's a tricky question. Let me put it that way. But um, when, when you get to something like uh, making meaning of things on a collective level, like through religion, on the level of religion, or on the level of absence of religion, or the, the uh, I guess the, uh, it's not really an absence. I guess that's your point. That's my point. It's like, well, it's still there. It's just like, it looks like it's not there. You know, it's just the. the... There is no absence of religion. That's an
1: that's if there's any illusion, that's the illusion. Why because is you, that an illusion? Because we we need things to bind us together. And those things that bind us together, yeah. they're purposes and their orders, right? There's a purpose and an order to a binding together. Right? There's a reason why there's a purpose for this pencil and there's an order to it. There's a pattern by which I recognize it's being so mm-hmm. there's a there's a purpose and an order that's true for everything that we care about as humans yeah. and then it's especially true of the things we care about as humans amongst each other, yeah, which is that a family meal is has purpose and order a family meal is a ritual is a ritual offered to the unity of our family hmm. and it has to have a certain form it's not it there's variability in the form it's not like Every family meal is exactly the same, but there's a limit to that variability, right? Because if I come to the family meal drunk, then i'm going to break the family meal mm. right If I stand on the table or if I lay on the floor during the family meal, then i'm going to break the order of that mm. meal, which is aimed towards its purpose that that uh, that's a little religious ceremony
0: mm-hmm.
1: family meal is a little religious ceremony, and then a game, a sports game, is a little religious ceremony. We come together with a purpose. There's an order. There's a celebration. There's all these things that we're doing together. We we, we wear uniforms and we wear funny hats. All the things that people make fun of for religion is there in a basketball game or in a, in a baseball game. And so it is the means by which we bind together. Now, what people now call explicitly religious, mm-hmm. Is when we gum together and we unify under a transcendent good, which we unify under um, into something which is uh, beyond our particularities in every in every way, mm-hmm. right? That's what that is. But if you so if you take a take a, a village, like in Quebec it's it's quite nice, like because we we in Quebec used to be very Catholic. I'm not Catholic by the way. So every village had a church right? And the church is the place where we would go and we would celebrate births, uh, weddings, baptisms, funerals, all the things that help us recognize that we care for each other, Mm. Were celebrated Mm. at the church in light of something which transcends all of us and which binds us all together, all of humanity is bound together under this this canopy that we're now celebrating the things that bind us together in that space. Now, if you take the church out, you're like, "Well, we don't need this thing. Just get rid of it." And all now we just need we just we just we'll just be together with reason. We'll be reasonable, and we'll we'll have reasonable reason together. Uh, and <laughs> and then you're surprised that that like two generations later, people aren't getting married, right? People have no initiations at all for their children. Hmm. You don't know your neighbor. You don't care for your neighbor. You live in a suburb now, and there's no downtown, and there's no place to even walk as a as a as, together as a community. You have malls, you have houses, and you just are scattered on a board like a you know like a bunch of dots. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, "Well, how did this happen? What happened?" And it's like that's exactly what happened: is that you try, you thought that you didn't need something to bind you together at a higher level. And then that unity breaks down. Yeah. At every level after that.
0: It's good, but pointing out the problem invites the answer, the solution. So like, how do you go from suburbia back to village life? You can't, like, how do you put the church back in? I mean, you have these mega churches, America comes up with these different ways of doing that, like with, you know, like prosperity gospels, different things that serve that function, sporting events, stuff like that. Uh, the woke stuff like is the, is kind of playing with the same thing. And your role as somebody who, whether or not you, you, you want to admit, you're proselytizing a certain... Religious framework, um, and then you're you're uh, you're not imposing, but superimposing it by by taking bits of culture and explaining it. Like you explain like these little phenomena, like okay, well here, and you're you're describing a pattern, and you're very good at describing the pattern without imposing, like your framework on it. But you do have a framework that you live within. You're an icon carver. You believe in the transcendent Christ, God, saints, all that stuff. It sounds like you, you. It could be the case. I don't mean this as an accusation, but it's like you're kind of playing both sides. You're like, well, I don't, I don't want to impose my order, but somebody's got to impose the order. So the the order is going to be imposed, and my order is better than other orders. But maybe you don't want to say that. So you you, you tra- talk about in terms of virtues. You, you talk. You, no, you I talk use about it in
1: terms of. I talk about it in terms of ground up participation. That's how I talk about.
0: It. Okay. Not like I, like, say, grounds, like I say go I say, to church, but like I
1: say, I say, go to okay. go to church, yeah. be deliberate about the communities that you have, be deliberate about your family, be deliberate about the people around you, be deliberate about, uh, you know, the, the ways in which you can participate, and that will, in the end, be the only bulwark against what's coming. And so, I really mm. don't see, uh, I really don't so, see. So how your anybody...
0: humility, or like you're you're uh, you're stopping from imposing your order on other people, is not uh, because uh, it's not false humility. Uh, it's not it's not like a, a trick. It, it's you're saying you you have to find that for yourself, but you're going to have to find it. So find it deliberately. This is what I've found, but you have to go forth and find it. So you're well, not really proselytizing. Apparently Orthodox don't really do that. No, but I do terrible. believe that
1: Christianity, I do believe Christianity is the is the best story. The way of the truth like I, and the life. Yeah, I, don't, the best I don't hide that at all. But I, I also hmm. don't see how that, if that's the best story, I really don't see how imposing it on people is going to be useful. Uh, you know, if it's, I'm trying to show the beauty of that story and the... The power hmm. of that story, so that people, you know, want to participate. But I don't see the. I mean, I the idea of imposing it top down, yeah. You know, in this world is is a ridiculous to me. It's just a. It would be a ridiculous proposition. Yeah. I'm and are saying, there really people who think that? Like honestly. No, no, like, no. Have I'm you just, met I'm... anybody who who says we should have, uh, we should impose Christianity top down in the United States? Like, as does, have you ever met one person who says that?
0: Uh you can construe certain people's um Is this Rob Reiner's, like yeah.
1: fantasy? Like that's what I think it is. I don't think that there yeah. are I don't think that there are people who, who, who say that. I,
0: I But there I'm is wrong. a worry. Maybe I, it's a maybe it's a straw man. I'm trying to steal me on the straw man. I'm trying to say to what extent can you avoid tyranny? To what extent and, and I'm just trying to flesh out your attitude of and, and you said it, you, you indicated it or hinted at it in that you said this is the best story why would i impose the best story it's just the best story i'll just tell the story and it'll prove itself and it's the same thing with two plus two equals four which is something i kind of like flippantly brought up with james when we were talking about symbolism like two plus two equals four is some sort of symbolic order um and and he's and i'm like don't isn't that like uh, isn't that like authoritarian like don't you impose that on the world he's like no it's truth you just say it, it is truth if you if you stray from the truth you won't get anywhere so it's just like two plus two equals four is the best story. Christianity isn't necessarily two plus two equals four. That's the weird thing about it. And that's when you talk, you kind of have to, I I have to immerse myself in, in your way of thinking because you're not really telling me this, this methodology, but you're always kind of using this methodology, you're picking up symbols, you're, you're telling the story, you, you kind of have a map about hierarchy and subsidiarity and unity and multiplicity, you have key words that you're doing it. And then when we drill down into your story, you can talk about like the actual, um, we could probably go into like any given verse of the Bible, any given passage of the Bible, and you could start to play with that. And I could see in your relationship to that sacred text of yours the truth of it it's it, it, but it's not like it's not going to be coded in, in the same way that two plus two equals four is going to be so i'm just trying to say if people are worried about christian nationalism if people are worried that you are fomenting some sort of tyranny like i'm, I'm trying to see how you're not any doing of that. my
1: content yeah. how could anybody watch any of my content think that i'm fomenting a kind of tyranny yeah. i don't think that's possible
0: well, because people are scared that in the post, if you're not for liberalism, if you're saying that, that liberalism is insufficient, that therefore you're trying to impose some sort of unity, like the... But it sounds like you're saying unity is going to happen, and there's better and worse forms of unity. So right. I would rather each individual work on their own unities from the bottom up, work well, on we're... themselves, work on their family, and then that's the only way we can have order that's sustainable and that's good for all. Is that if it comes from ordered people?
1: It comes. From, I I totally think that that's true. You know the the pillar. You could say, you know, the pillars of the church are the saints. That's how we understand it in in the hmm. Orthodox tradition. Which is that's that, a
0: symbolic way of what do you mean? The pillars of the church are the like that's the this your total poetry. Like what does that mean? The pillars of the. But I mean are
1: is that saints. it is through the it, it is through the personal transformation of people hmm. that the world is transformed. It is not. It is not first and for, and, and and firstly through. Political action through political activism through all these things that true transformation happens through you becoming a saint. If you become a saint, then then you will transform reality. Mm-hmm. If you if you create, I'm not against being politically active, but if you think that that's how you're gonna fundamentally change reality, then forget it. It's like let's take the United States for example, like. It's the culture war is the most ridiculous thing in the <laughs> universe I and mean, when you look at it just just from just one step uh, you know away from each other it's like you you literally have a country that's split 50-50 down the middle and then everybody's fighting for like the few percentages to win the next election and so who is winning would you think Is anybody going to win? How are you going to win? Are you going to destroy fifty percent of the country? Are you going to just eliminate everybody? Like, there's no this idea that this kind of culture war stuff is. That's why I try to avoid it as much as I can. I obviously get dragged in once in a while, but Mm. I try to avoid that kind of stuff as much as I can because, you know, how are you going to? The problem, the problem of the fragmentation, is such a deep problem that. Mm. It doesn't have a political solution. You know, the the anyways, that's that is that is how I that's why I don't advocate for political solutions, because mm. you're not going to conquer 50% of your country with a with what? With an election? Like what what difference does it make? It <laughs> and and people like even now, like even when I see, you know, I am a Christian. For example, I'm a Christian, I, I am against uh like, I'm against abortion. I, it's a moral thing. I'm against all the things that Christians are against. But, but people rejoicing because they overturned some law in the United States and thinking that now they're the tide has changed, like they're winning the culture war. It's just the most ridiculous thing ever. Hmm. This is ridiculous. Like, you have half the population against you. And you think that you've overturned a law. And now, like, this is it. Like, we're going to, we've got it. We're moving towards victory. Mm-hmm. The, the problem is so deep. That I do believe that the only thing that can solve it is saints, in the sense of transformed people, hmm. transformed families, transformed communities that will be like beacons for a world that is that is lost in despair. So if you can be someone that other people want to imitate, that is a much better thing to be than winning getting some law passed and yeah. and thinking that now you you finally got like the right amount of people on the supreme court so now now we can do the thing it's like these 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 solutions are 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 heading towards civil war is what they're heading towards yeah and i and i, and I don't know i'm not saying like you should just do nothing and sit around and wait for the other side to take you over if you're on yeah. one side of that cultural divide but that you're not going to find a solution there it's not going to there's no long-term solution in this kind of political fight
0: well, where does where does sainthood start? Where does this transformed person start to transform? Where have you seen it, like in in your own life or in the lives of others, where you start to see that change happening?
1: Yeah, you have to start, you have to look at your sins, right? Instead of just looking at the sins of others, you have to see your own sins, right? See the places where you fall short of the ideal. See the places where you lie, the places where you, where you, where you, twist reality to fit your narrative where instead of just looking mm. at how the others do it, right? Try start by doing it on your own, on yourself. I mean, don't be naive, right? Don't be an idiot and just and, and and ignore when, let's say, things are being twisted by your enemy, but you have to start with yourself. And and that is, I think, the solution ultimately. And so, whether it's politically, whether it's personally, you know, whether it's in your personal relationships, whether it is in your own bad habits, whether it is all these things, that's the beginning. The you know, to not be a hypocrite, to not, you know, and we're all hypocrites. We 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 all have to work on that. But I think that that's the that's the place to start, right? It really is.
0: Hmm.
1: I mean, that's what you know. It's like that's what the that's what Jesus said. That's what the saints always say. The saints always say that say. Transform yourself, you know, forgive your, forgive, forgive people, right? And so we are looking at a world where forgiveness has become impossible. We see that on the political sphere. We see that in the world around us. So what's the solution? The solution is forgive people. That's the solution is not complain because, because forgiveness is impossible. The solution is forgive, forgive others. That's the solution forgive your enemies like that's a rough one it's a tough one but that's the way to go i don't see another solution
0: what helps you in the project of being a forgiving person
1: (laughs) well i i would say the same i would say that the 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 testimony of the holy ones like the testimony of the saints that helps me uh you know going to confession
0: do you have one particular saint that's been with you, uh, I guess recently or over the last few years or throughout your life? Maybe?
1: Well, I, I, you know, I don't know if you, I mean, you know, I published this, this graphic novel called God's Dog, right? Yeah. And so that's about St. Christopher, who is uh who is a monster, right? St. Christopher is a dog-headed man or a giant, you know, and I think St. Christopher has been very close to me because, as someone who's more conservative, right? that I'm more of a christian, that I'm that I'm more on that side, let's say, of the of the situation. It's been helpful for me to meditate on the on the saint that's an exception, on the saint that's a monster, on the saint that doesn't quite fit so that I can maintain compassion for that which doesn't fit, you know. That I can always keep that in mind that we're all kind of not we're all kind of broken we're all kind of dog-headed you know to some extent and that we should be careful uh in our judgment of people like when i watch you know when i hmm. and I, I i to be honest like i when i see people reposting tiktoks of obviously broken people that are saying insane things but that are obviously broken and then just like getting you know thousands of likes by reposting them to mock them i don't think that's the solution <laughs> like i don't think that helps anybody you know uh, the, the the a lot of the people a lot of the blue-haired pink-haired people that are you know cutting off their breasts or that are doing this stuff they are in deep deep suffering and there's a difference between not thinking that their actions and the direction that they're aiming is good you know there's a difference between that like i can say i think this is not good like i think that the direction which you're aiming that you're aiming is da- is damaging to you and is dangerous but there's a difference between that and and mocking them or you know pointing to them like you would in a freak show uh so i would say that those are those are mm. things that i try to avoid getting involved in and that's why i said like the culture war stuff is something that i and and some people like confuse me with how can I say this? Confuse me with my friends, or confuse me with people around me? Because obviously, you know, I've done some things for the Daily Wire. I've done some things for, you know, I've done things for uh, Peterson. And these are all people that I care about and that I, that I respect and that I admire. But you know, I my my life and my approach is not exactly theirs. Right? <laughs> it is. It is my. It is my approach. And I and I uh, and I think. Anyway, so I try to avoid that kind of stuff as much as I as I can. Let's say, yeah. Which, by the way, which is why that I love the I love your approach. I think your approach has been very of all of all of the the kind of YouTube approaches. I think yours has been fruitful because you speak to people with compassion, and you've been able to 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 talk to people who would never speak to a right wing whatever or to 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 but that that are you know that are that are very far on one side of the culture war, but that are willing to talk to you because they know that you'll give them true attention and you won't try to trick them. You won't try to, you know, and trip them up. And I think, I think that's a, I think that's a great approach. I think that's way more promising than a lot of the stuff that we're seeing.
0: Hmm. It's not as prominent. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a different strategy. It's a long, slow.
1: Yeah. You won't get, you won't also get as many (laughs) clicks. and You won't get as many views. Obviously the culture war will get you attention, but Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I think that the sacrificing that for something better is, is worth it. You know, it's worth it to not play that game.
0: Oh, um, we should start wrapping up. I, I do <laughs> want to, uh, you did just publish either a clip or a video on sacrifice. I think it was an excerpt from another, and I get, I didn't get to watch it cause I was watching another one of your, um, shows. Um, but, could you just talk for a moment about sacrifice and what it is to you we, we, i was Hopefully I was debating with i was I was debating with uh somebody about sacrifice and sacrifice being always giving something up and and if you're giving something up, then you don't really I just want to understand it because it it just means something to me and and I know that you deal with that symbolism as, as essential. Yeah. And I think it's just essential to my moral framework that was given <laughs> to me. It's just like sacrifices putting something aside to gain, not necessarily to gain something else. It's not just, it's not just transactional in that yeah. way. I don't yeah, think, so, but.
1: No, I, I, so sacrifice, you could say sacrifice is the, is the foundation of reality. Um, and, uh, this is obviously hard for people to understand cause we don't live in the, in an ancient world again. Yeah. And so the idea that you would take something that is good, for example, and that you would give it up for something better, right? You would, or you would, you would, you would kind of offer it up to something which is which is more.
0: Yeah, uh, not necessarily four, but two.
1: Yeah, two. Just two. Something you're, you're not better. Just, you sacrifice bet. something. No, no, but yeah, how can I say this?
0: Maybe it to is some a wager. Extent,
1: to some extent, there is. How can I say this? We have to. We have to be careful. Like I said, not to make it purely transactional. Um, so let, let me give you an example that's very simple that everybody can understand it's not it's not magical in any way which is the way that a sports team functions right and so imagine all the players of the team they want to be successful they want to win they want to shine they want you know to be the star of the game they this is something that they they wrestle with like this desire that they have to to do that now the reality is that if they grab onto that they'll lose. Yeah. They'll lose the game, they'll lose the prestige, they'll lose everything. And so the only way for that desire to embed itself properly in the game is for them to give it up towards a higher purpose. Hmm. And they say, I will play in a way that my team will win. Right. I will play in a way that will take into account the reality of the other players. So I will sacrifice an aspect of my aspiration to a higher good. And the the, the mystery is that if you do that, that's how you get it in the hmm. proper way. That's actually how you that aspect of you, which is the desire to succeed and to win and to do that, will actually shine.
0: Hmm.
1: So that's the mystery of sacrifice, right? In the story of in scripture, you see that. Especially in the story of the sacrifice of Isaac, it's the mm. most obvious version of that, which is that God tells Abraham, you know, uh, you're going to have a son. And he's you know, like in his 90s. And it's like this ridiculous thing. Like, there's no way I'm going to have a son. Not only can to have a son, but your son it will have sons and you'll have so many children, right? They'll become like the stars of, of heaven. And so, so finally in his 90s, God gives him a son. And then God says, all right, now go up the mountain and sacrifice him to me it's like what You just gave me this thing this whole thing that i've everything's been moving towards everything's been moving towards me having this son and now you're saying sacrifice him to me And so he goes up the mountain and at the moment when he's willing to give that up to god then god gives him back and says now that it's it's all it's like now that you're now that i know that you're willing to give this up towards a higher good that's how you get it in its proper place that's how that's how it. And so you could say so you could say that that's now again this is true about everything right mm-hmm. if you if you if you love a woman and you want to make love to her but that's the only thing you want and you're driving towards that and everything's driven towards that like you won't probably get it or not not much but if but if it's given up into a higher good of love and of communion and of and of of, of you know aim towards something higher then the surprise is that then it will be returned to you like it will it will come back into your life and that's true about everything right that's how the world actually works that's how goods scale is is if they give themselves up into higher goods and that's basically the nature of sacrifice
0: and what does that tell us about love i think that, that that's kind of one of the answers of love like love is the process love has, that we witness when we participate in letting go towards something higher
1: that's right that, no that's a good that's a good thing is that when we that love always when you're attentive to love you'll realize that it only finds its fullness if it's constantly giving up towards the higher and that's yeah. the only place in which it reaches fullness and every time we stop and we think that this yeah. is the top and it's like if i can only have enough money like if i can only get my retirement fund you know then everything will be solved then you realize that no, it's bullshit like you, you're not going to find uh satisfaction in that but if you you know if you if you do those things but you always scale them up towards something which is more meaningful and more powerful and more full full then you know, all those things, you know, what is it that Christ says? He says, search first for the kingdom of God and all those things will be given to you. That is, don't worry about the things, the lower things. If you aim to the top, those lower things, they'll figure themselves out. Like they will will play themselves out. Uh, But if you try to grasp any of them, then you lose them. You know, that's the the mystery i it is, it is the mystery of love but it's also that's the nature of sacrifice that's what the function of sacrifice
0: god is good but it's rich,
1: yeah but you can so it but it's funny cuz like people don't understand it because they see the ritualized version and then they don't understand what ritual is for and so they just see it as a weird thing it's like okay so you go to this place and then you kill a goat you know and you burn it and you give it up to God. Like, what the hell are you doing? Like, what is this? Like, what are you? Why does this matter? Like, why are you doing that? Uh, and you can only understand it if you apply it. Like, you can, you can understand. Let's take the family meal again. A family meal is a good example to understand sacrifice. You know, you have a family potluck. It's a that's even better example, right? And so everybody comes and everybody offers their food up to the family. Right to something beyond them, and so it's a sacrifice. Right, it's like it really is. That's now you're really in the world of sacrifice. Like you know, Aunt so and so, she makes her casserole or whatever. She brings it to the potluck, and then she offers it up to the family, and then the 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 blessing will come back down, right? And so we will sit around the table, and then we'll have a feast. We'll eat the food, right? We'll get the food, but the food is offered up to the family. Mm. Right It's not just you standing at the on the corner of your of your of your table and just eating standing, right? It's like yeah. it's a ritualized offering up to the family. Yeah. And if you make an improper sacrifice, <laughs> you know what that what happens, right? If you make an improper sacrifice, if you do it, especially if you do it quite a few times, what do you mean? that that is that if you don't offer your best, right? If everybody brings their prepared meal and you come and you don't, you know yeah. you don't put any effort into it yeah. that will affect to some extent your participation in the family it will affect or it will reflect your participation in the family it will it will reflect your unity your your participation in the unity of the family yeah and so so that's exactly though the the whole sacrificial system the sacrifice is more complicated but yeah. th- that part of the sacrificial system uh can you you can understand it just by the way in which you do things like that right in the way in which you give the way in which you give gifts to others for example in which you take something good and you give it to the friendship that binds you to the other person because obviously when you're giving a gift to someone you're not just giving it to the person you're offering it to the union of both of you together that's a sacrifice it's the same thing as when people would offer goats up to god it's just at a very at a, at a lower level
0: yeah with stacks
1: it stacks. That's right. It stacks.
0: What's coming up for you? Do you have any tours or?
1: I'm trying to not travel as much. It's, yeah. Last year was, yeah. Last year was Brutal. crazy. Yeah. You know, they, especially cause when COVID ended, I just said yes to everything. And then all of a sudden I was like gone all the time. And so I've been trying to, to tone down the travel to be, have more time with the family mm. and also trying to find ways to travel with my wife or with my family uh, so that, you know, it's not such of a, you know, it's not such of a weird situation. Um, and so that's, so that, I've been mean, careful with that. But I would say the thing I'm most excited about is the is the new publishing company. Do you know, I think you probably saw, started a publishing company called Symbolic World Press. Mm. Um, and uh, we're publishing fairy tales. Um, you know, I'm writing eight fairy tales that we're publishing, beautifully illustrated with, oh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, so it's, I'm, yeah, let me show you. I got it right here. Okay. Please. Oh, the this is our, our Snow White. Oh, yeah, and it's it was illustrated by Chris uh, by uh, Heather Pollington, who is an amazing illustrator. She's just like just astounding. Yeah, she's oh, just wow. great. Yeah, oh, she's wonderful. really good. It's like it's so I'm really excited about that, and we're
0: is, is we're that, working hard. To, people can buy that now.
1: Yeah, people can. Well, I mean, we're we're shipping them right now because we okay. we did it as a crowdfunder, uh, and so we actually today like it's things uh-huh. are being shipped like like today, uh, and so you could people can find it on. Uh, uh, I still have a pre-order store open on BackerKit. People can find it The rights in the white Jonathan Bejo or something. Yeah. Um and that's what I'm most excited about cuz we're going to we're going to continue to publish the graphic novels and then I'm going to write these fairy tales as a kind of symphony of of fairy tales. Um and uh and yeah, that's the thing that I'm most excited about. Although mm. I still I'm still making videos, still doing the YouTube thing, but it's getting harder, I feel. How so? Feel like i'm running out of the things that i wanted to say it's like at some point i pretty much said what i want to say yeah. and i'm thinking okay what am i going to talk about you know
0: yeah 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 that, that, you that's find a, that
1: but you have like these discussions with like all these people so yeah
0: yeah well i mean you get into you know it just kind of comes and goes it's like life you know it's like mm-hmm. you know it rains and then it then it dries up and my interest and it also with my interest you know, my, like, do I really, like, am I, do I want to talk about gender anymore? And yeah, and then I feel bad for my audience. Do they want to hear more about it. And then I publish a gender episode and a lot of people watch it. I'm like, well, at least, uh, you know, at least it's working. At least the channel's working, you know, but like, yeah, I'm always, I'm kind of looking for like, what's the new thing? What's the next thing? Like, what, what's mm. cool? What's next? What's, what's good? Where, where, where's the good in the world? And yeah. I'm not really, well, I don't the, really that's the right, see it. That's what I, know? that's
1: why I, I've kind of to moved towards the idea of telling stories. Yeah. Rather than just talking about it. So yeah. yeah, I've been talking about symbolism for like five, six years now. And I thought, yeah. okay, well, I've stopped just talking about it. Let's do it. Let's yeah. tell better stories, you know? Yeah. And since yeah. all the companies, all the like big media companies are just dropping these, these fairy tales, they don't want them anymore. Hmm. Just take them,
0: you know, because no. they're Yeah. Great. It's an opportunity. It's amazing. It's a great opportunity. <laughs> So uh people can order so these books will be coming out over the course of the next year or so. These election yeah, so, books. I mean,
1: so we're 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 gonna try to speed we're gonna like ramp up. So basically yeah. the idea is to, you know, use the funds for the from the first books to finance this the, the next ones. And so we had a pretty good run with the crowdfunder. And so we we're we're financing the second one, even starting the third one. Uh and so hopefully we can start to put them out regularly, wow. either two at a time or something. We're not sure. Um so, yeah, so they'll be coming out to so we'll try to do it as fast as we can, but we definitely want them to be as beautiful as possible. That's wow. The,
0: that's I'll have the, to get my of, hands it, on. In
1: some ways, like to go against the AI thing that's happening, right? It's like to, to, to just say, we're going to make the most beautiful, high quality, thought out uh, story. And the idea is to use some aspects of postmodern storytelling, you know, this idea of self-referentiality and also the idea of... Um, of uh, a kind of meta awareness that you see in postmodern stories like in shrek for example when they they have this kind of weird uh meta awareness of the of their storytelling mm-hmm. uh, but to do that towards insight rather than towards cynicism
0: oh yeah it's so a basic sorry yeah people people mistake the postmodern uh tactics for the postmodern goal and and you can use those ta- the tactics are very rich yeah, especially right. the yeah. artistic ones they just don't they don't ha- they're not wedded to cynicism People think right. that they're wedded to like being met as cynical. It's like, no, it's not necessary. It's, there's a lot of fun there. I mean, Shakespeare... And there's a lot of it? like, you break it apart to put it back together. You don't just break it apart to break it apart. You break it apart to put it back together. That's part of like, it serves the story. It serves the creative. It makes the story even more creative because yeah. it engages the reader and the reader, you know. Is invited no, totally to right. participate like, the, to embed themselves into the interpretation of the story, which is a part of the story. Interpretation is a part of the story. It's not something that comes after or controls the story, or defines the story. It's a part. It's an integral part of the story. It's a participation part. It's like the, where the story. Yeah. It's like the genitals of the story, kind of. It's the part of the story that, that faces outward or that that incubates the new.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. So, all uh, all all the postmodern strategies of storytelling are like are there in Shakespeare. Like they'll have plays within the play. They'll have. Yeah even even a lot of the kind of confusing of identity where you know it's like someone uh you know pretending to be something playing something else and so everything kind of slips and and starts to fragment yeah. uh and there's a kind of awareness of the secret hidden behind it all of these strategies are are definitely useful and that's what so basically that's what i'm trying to do with fairy tales is to we're doing eight fairy tales and they're going to become symphonic as you move forward. So we'll set up a little, uh, like a, a story and a world at the beginning, and then they will be crisscrossing as you move forward, you know, with objects and people and characters and surprises in the story uh, where, you know, you can use, for example, Sleeping Beauty falling asleep to help you understand Snow White falling asleep. So you can, it's not just like a, it's not just a, uh, it's not just a, an Easter egg reference. Yeah. It right. It's like it's a reference, a reference yeah. that now connects you and helps you understand it more deeply what is going on there. So basically using the the repetitive nature of of um fairy tales mm-hmm. to actually bring more insight into them. Anyways, though there are a few of the strategies to use, but that's the idea. And to make them in a way that you can read it to an eight-year-old, uh, but that as an adult, you're also like, huh, okay. I didn't realize that that's what was going on there. You know, like the the okay. So this is what this is what's being uh, referred to. So hopefully, bring insight yeah. to adults as well. But that's yeah. the that's the play.
0: Do you have a? My wife wants us to start a Bible study uh, with the kids, and I'm wondering, um, like what would be good for twelve? Where where would you start? Like if you're doing a a, a Bible reading for for twelve ten year olds, what do you think? David or Kings or Judges or
1: yeah, oh, judges. Maybe not judges.
0: Uh, no. <laughs> well,
1: I had to learn I had to learn the hard way. Because with my kids, I was like, I'm just gonna tell them the Bible stories. And yeah. then I had them like crying, you know, when they were like <laughs> six years
0: <laughs> old. <laughs> okay, that's not the way to go. Did you do you start with what uh, Lot and his daughters? Is that yeah, exactly started? <laughs> I started right away with Lot and his daughters? That was the oh, first no. story
1: I told them. Or like the in judges, right? The story of the judge that cuts his the his his mistress into 12 pieces like all these crazy stories there are crazy stories in the bible oh, yeah. uh, for sure but um i think that i think that uh kids should know for sure genesis is really important you know the creation story hmm. the flood uh the story of abraham um hmm. genesis exodus those stories are are crucial because they are pattern making like they are really uh, cosmic in their implications, yeah. they they have the the deepest levels of storytelling in them, yeah. um, and then then really the story of Jesus. So it's like the story Genesis, Exodus, and Jesus is probably the best place to to start with with kids, huh. uh, and then later you can go into uh you can go into other stories like you can talk you can go further into the old testament you know taking the promised land and then uh david king david all those stories and then some of the stories of the prophets like some of the stories of Elijah and Elisha are really are really interesting
0: for kids hmm. but uh i would start with that the one about uh making fun of a man a bald man yeah i made a video about that about the <laughs> the, the 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 she the
1: she bears that comes and eats the young people
0: um go go yeah yeah, well, yeah. Jonathan, thank you profit. so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with me about this. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't want to talk. I didn't want a gossipy thing. I just want to kind of drill down into this divide about how we approach this, like this really high level thinking about like, well, if our society is just do whatever you want. Um, how do we survive? And and how do we start to collectivize? And and I think that you and James basically have the same answer, just in different formulations. Like you have to start with yourself and you have to not be humble. You're not the God of anybody else. Like you, you stand before reality and you have to be honest and humble in that and build it block by block. And, and yeah. he's more of on the reason side and you're more on the virtue side or like, like talk, speak in, in in terms of of love um you know and 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 that but i think that you're both I, I i don't see any terrible divide between you two so i wanted to like kind of facilitate for my own mind for your own like, sake yeah where, where i agree i don't have a problem with james from. at
1: all i always followed his work from the very beginning i think that the work he's doing uh you know showing the relationship between uh, between communism and postmodernism and showing the line you know you know to to between the between Gramsci and how it feeds into the 60s and then the postmodern I think it's one of the most useful things that is being done right now in the in the intellectual life and so I was actually like kind of shocked that he came after you with such vehemence and I was like okay I, like I guess but I am a Christian I don't know what to tell you I'm not going to change that and I do believe that Christianity is the best story uh, but I don't identify as a Christian nationalist. I don't even know exactly what that is. I think it's, like a, I think it's, I think it's a bullshit category that was made up by people like Rob Reiner, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so uh, anyway, so it's too bad. But you know, if he ever wants to talk, by the way, yep. if he watches this, I'd be happy to talk to him. I don't have a problem with him.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Maybe someday, hopefully. Maybe, who knows? I'm going to end the recording. Thank you very much for joining me.
1: All right, yeah, thanks.